Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number five of The Dynamite Effect, recapping the highs and lows from AEW Dynamite on TNT. I am your host and humble guide, Killer Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week five of the Rest of Topia Network slowly but surely comes to a close as the road to AEW Revolution also comes to a head this coming Saturday, February 29th, 2020. Yes, it's a leap year from Chicago, Illinois. It is truly a stacked card from top to bottom, one of the best-built pay-per-views in recent memory with great television and a countdown special that really highlighted the importance and hype surrounding this pay-per-view event. And you, the listener, will join me as I recap the go-home show to last night's episode of AEW Dynamite to get you through your Thursday morning, afternoon, or evening. So hello to you all you beautiful people out there. Before we get underway, a couple of announcements. Number one, unfortunately, I will not be doing a post-revolution pay-per-view recap special this upcoming weekend. I'll be watching the show as a fan, but I will be back as usual next Thursday morning at 6 a.m. sharp recapping the fallout from the revolution pay-per-view, which is always the best part of watching a show and then watching the fallout and recapping it here for your listening pleasure. And number two, as always, in the event that you miss an episode this past week, whether it's Raw, SmackDown, NXT, or AEW, if you want to throw it back all the way to the beginning to celebrate the one-month anniversary of the WST Network, feel free to do so on all of your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn, plus Amazon Alexa. So subscribe, listen, and download today at your convenience anytime on demand. Without further ado, let's take a deep dive into all things AEW Dynamite with the first match from last night's show. And quite frankly, the best match on the show was the 30-minute Iron Man match featuring Kenny Omega versus Pac. And what a match it was. Now, historically speaking, Iron Man matches can go one of two ways. Number one, it could be a 30-minute to 60-minute affair. And number two, no one cares until the last two minutes when the near falls and the submissions come into play. But this match right here, it meant something from the opening bell. Everything had meaning and intention. And for the first time in AEW history, we had a disqualification. I know. DQ, the two letters, not Dairy Queen. We thought we would never see an AEW, but it happened last night and it completely made sense and told a great story down the stretch. Now, the match started off slow as it should because you're trying to stretch this thing to 30 minutes. You don't want to be a spot fiesta of doing all of your greatest hits. They took their time. They test each other out. They know each other so well. They knew what to do, how to slow the pace down, to give you what you want, and then pick up the intensity along the way. And the first great spot of the match was Pac doing a moonsault only to get caught by Omega and for Pac to reverse it into a DDT onto the floor in a great spot. Then a Mortal Kombat battle broke out. There were strikes, there were boots to the face, chops, right hands. They were going at it, absorbing each blow from each other as the fans soaked in the action. I loved how they took those shots, stood there, manned up, bounced back, took another shot to the face or to the chest. Great action there. But then Pac realized, okay, 10 minutes in, no pinfalls, no submissions, no countouts. I gotta do something. I gotta get into that bastard mentality. And I'm gonna give Kenny Omega a win, a win he wouldn't expect, a win he wouldn't see coming. 
I'm going to grab a steel chair and I'm going to hit him right in the face. And sure enough, he did just that to draw the first DQ in AEW history. And Excalibur did a great job of saying, wow, this is history in the making. We never had this before. And I didn't even think of it at first until we see it because it means something. It happened at an important moment in time and it should happen on special and rare occasions such as last night. So this allowed Pac to gain the unfair advantage for a bit. He hit Kenny with the chair a second time behind the referee's back as Kenny tried to recover within 30 seconds before the match resumed. Pac quickly hit the black arrow for the pin to make it one to one. Kenny tried to fight back, so brave and courageous, completely worn out and destroyed by Pac thus far. And he eats a devastating falcon arrow from the ring apron to the floor, not the hardest part of the ring, okay? So the floor, sick bump, Kenny ate it once again, and then Pac tries a tope, knocks out Kenny and the referee, which gives him more time to do even more outside chicanery when he brings out a table from underneath the ring, places Omega on the table, gets on top of the turnbuckle, and does a freaking shooting star press onto Omega, through the table in a crazy spot that the crowd popped for. Now it should be noted that the Young Bucks were at ringside supporting Omega during this match. And I had to turn my brain off for a second and think to myself, self, okay, that's your boy, right? That's your best friend. And I know you have a tag team championship match this upcoming Saturday at Revolution for set titles. Okay. Now, I would want to protect my friend despite our differences at the moment. Maybe we should push Kenny off the table and let Pac eat it, or let's get Kenny as weak as possible heading into this pay-per-view friendship be damned. I just thought it was funny that they could have prevented that spot from happening by saving their friend, but all well. In any event, they did come through when Kenny Omega barely made the 10 count back in the ring to make sure he did not lose another fall to Pac as one of the Bucks pushed him back in the ring in the nick of time and the referee gave him credit for hauling ass in the nick of time. The last few minutes of this match was really good. Kenny made a great fiery comeback, hitting a V-trigger, hitting another knee, followed by a Uranagi, but... Pac countered the one-winged angel with a poison rana, followed by the swing DDT and ultimately the brutalizer that put Kenny Omega to sleep during their first match at All Out last August. Kenny stayed in this submission hold for two minutes, almost got a pinfall on Pac, but he got his shoulders up at the last possible second, and Kenny Omega had to hold on for the last 30 seconds. Usually the babyface gives up at the last second and the heel wins, but in this case, Omega held on for dear life and the bell sounded and the match was still a draw at one to one. So Pac wasn't having this. He knocked out the referee, pretty much eliminated him from the match. The Bucks looked on in confusion, wondering what's going to happen next. Kenny was looking just as perplexed. And then Justin Roberts got on the microphone and said, you know what? We're going to sudden death. This match will continue. And Aubrey Edwards, the best damn referee in the business, runs down to the ring to officiate the finish of this match. And the crowd went crazy for Aubrey. You talk about a referee that is over with the fans. It's ridiculous. You came in there and pretty much handled business. There was a couple of near falls towards the end once again with Omega ultimately picking up the victory with a V 
trigger Kamagoya knee and one winged angel finisher for the one, two, three to end this feud, to win it outright two to one in a great match that told a fantastic story. Pac doing anything he could to win by hook or by quick, but it backfired in his face. And the story outside the ring told even more stories as conspicuous by his absence was Hangman Page. Nowhere to be found, did not accompany Omega and the Young Bucks to ringside for this match. The announcers did a great job driving that point home, saying this is very concerning, heading into the AEW Tag Team Championship match of Revolution this coming Saturday. Where is the unity between Omega and Paige? What's happening? The Young Bucks are showing their support, and they're the opponents heading into the pay-per-view match. And Hangman, the tag team partner, the ride or die, is nowhere to be found. And this was explained during an interview segment that took place earlier in the day and aired later in the show featuring JR sitting down with the Young Bucks and Omega and Paige and Young Bucks are being put over as the best tag team in the world and how come they haven't won the big one in AEW and they say you know what we haven't been really focused and we see these guys thriving and succeeding and we want to prove even though you have the belts we are truly the standard bearer in the tag team division and the side eye and the looks Hangman was giving them was epic he had some kind of bourbon in his glass he was drinking from whether it was Jim Beam or some Jack Daniels he was drinking something of the liqueur variety and Omega made things worse by saying hey me and Paige this is a situational tag team it just happened out of nowhere and then <laughs> Paige says well this was a big mistake huh you think this is a fluke that we won these belts and we worked well together well I'm guess I'm just the fourth wheel here and I tried to leave the elite and you wouldn't let me and here I am being dragged in this mess once again and then Matt Jackson notes, hey, here you are drinking during this interview, very unprofessional. I wasn't going to say anything, but here you are drinking in front of us once again, trying to elude that Hangman possibly has a drinking problem that pisses off Hangman even more. And then Nick goes for the juggler saying, you were a jobber and ring of honor and we brought you out of obscurity and gave you a career. Hangman got up and said he was done and left. And Omega didn't know what to say. He was just perplexed about how south this interview went and how salty things were between both teams heading into their pay-per-view match this weekend. This was a great segment that drives home the tension between these teams and wondering who's going to turn on who. And this was the most overtly hillish the Bucks have been thus far. And Omega is just the man in the middle, stuck between a rock and a hard place. He loves his friends, he loves teaming with Hangman, but is it situational? Is it happenstance? Is it something more? And Hangman just doesn't give a fuck. He loves to drink, he's happy to be the champions, and he doesn't like the fact that the Young Bucks are discrediting their success as the champions. So this is possibly the most unpredictable match on the card because you don't know which way the wind is gonna blow in the Windy City. Who's turning on who? Is it Kenny Omega on Hangman Page? Is it Page on Omega? Is it the Young Bucks at the end of this? It's an interesting storyline that has been told beautifully since the beginning of the year and playing out weekly on BTE. This is the best storyline going outside of Cody and MJF and Chris Jericho and John Moxley. This is my favorite storyline in AEW because you don't know who's going to turn on who or if there will be any turns at all. And it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen on Saturday. I expect this to be a mind-blowing 
tag team match. And we had a fantastic bout last week with the Lucha Brothers and Omega and Paige tearing down the house. And dare I say, the greatest match in AEW history in terms of the tag team division is still yet to come this upcoming weekend. And the fallout from this match is going to be epic, to say the least. The most intriguing match in this card is this tag team match. And I cannot wait to see how it all plays out. One would think after a great Ironman match that we take some time to relax, calm down, take a breather with a simple cool down match to get everybody's energy back up just in time for the main event. Well, Jurassic Express in a form of Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy versus the Inner Circle, Sammy Guevara, Santana, and Ortiz said, well, fuck a calm down match. We're going to give you a balls to the wall batshit crazy six-man tag team match without any rhyme or reason zero structure involved and just hit our spots and give you a show and they did just that who am i to complain i do like some structure in my tag team matches it harken back to the early days of AEW, which were fun but i love tag team rules being adhered to but this was still a fun sprint of a match the fans ate it up marco stunt i know he gets a lot of flack on social media because he's small and everything he does isn't supposed to be believable but you know what it's believable to me Santana and Ortiz sold their asses off, did a great job. He hits his spots so well. He knows what he's doing in there. He knows to maximize his minutes and not take away from anyone else and get the match over in a meaningful way. And that is his role and he does it excellently. As for Luchasaurus, one of my favorite stars in AEW, dating back to seeing him and Jungle Boy team up at the Fight for the Fallen event this past summer extremely agile for his size one of the best strikers in the business and i'm glad to see he's healthy once again to do what he does best kicking ass and taking names and as always jungle boy is improving rapidly and continues to shine every time he's in a match against high profile opponents and tonight was no exception the end of the match came when sammy guevara tried to cheat his way to victory by grabbing a loaded sock from santana and ortiz but the ever vigilant Darby Allen appeared, snatched a sock out of his hand to a huge pop, and Jungle Boy picked up a high-profile win over Guevara with a Hunter Karana roll-up for the win. Very fun way to end the match and build heat heading into Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen at AEW Revolution this upcoming Saturday after the match was over. Him and Darby got into it a little bit, which allowed Allen to toss Guevara out of the ring only to be caught by Proud and Powerful. So this was a cool way to build heat for Guevara and Darby Allen at the pay-per-view while giving Jurassic Express a signature win, which might help them in the tag team picture in the not-too-distant future. Overall, a nice piece of business to add to the pay-per-view hype and get a tag team over at the same time. Speaking of tag teams, best friends Chuck Taylor, Trent, and Orange Cassidy had their best night ever in AEW last night as their personalities shined and they picked up a signature win at the same time. But the night started off, interestingly enough, for Orange Cassidy as he found his way into the interview segment between Tony Schiavone and Pac after he lost to Kenny Omega. And Tony asked a tough question, saying you threatened Kenny Omega's friends, you attacked them, you challenged him to a match, and you lost. Explain yourself, sir. 
Pack was not having it, saying, how dare you ask me such a stupid question, which led to Orange Cassidy coming out to confront Pack for whatever reason. And Pack promptly nailed him with the forearm shot to the face, which laid Orange Cassidy out. But Cassidy, being a soldier, he did accompany his tag team partners to ringside for their match against the Butcher and the Blade. The match was very good, and the highlight was Orange Cassidy and the bunny getting in the ring, having a stare down. Cassidy tried to put his hands in his pockets. The bunny stops him. She takes his sunglasses. And then Cassidy takes her bunny ears and places them on his head in a tremendous spot, then puts his hands in his pocket before delivering a tope to the butcher, which led to Trent and Chucky hitting the strong zero on the blade for the one, two, three. And the post-match interview between those three men and Tony Schiavone was the icing on the cake because the announcement was at AEW Revolution, it would be Pac versus Orange Cassidy in a one-on-one match. Yes, you heard that right. This would be Orange Cassidy's first singles match in AEW. And Chuck Taylor, who rarely gets to speak on television, says, you know what? Orange Cassidy is going to try on Saturday and the fans laughed out loud and Trent got in on the fun as well and the segment ended with Orange Cassidy giving a thumbs up saying he is in fact going to try this upcoming Saturday in his match against Pac. We shall pray for him. But we know that deep down Orange Cassidy can wrestle. He is a human sloth but he does have ability in the ring and dare I say this could be a sneaky good match on Saturday that could blow people's minds it's a good possibility I love how we're saving Cassidy's moments for the pay-per-view to really allow him to shine in a high profile match so I expect to be shockingly surprised in the best possible way but the true highlight of this segment happened during the commercial break picture in picture when Tony Schiavone joined in on the best friends and freshly squeezed in a hug and the crowd popped and the cherry on top was Orange Cassidy putting the sunglasses on Tony Schiavone. This was outstanding television, got the best friends over as characters, three-dimensional people. We get to know them a little bit more, which is a great thing. The fans in the arena love them, but the audience at home might think to themselves, well, why should we care about best friends? Yes, they hug and they have a guy named Orange Cassidy and he's a sloth and he doesn't do much and they love each other as friends, but what else is there to it? But tonight we finally saw some personality and I loved it. And maybe they are in line for a tag team title push down the road and establishing their gimmick and their personalities. Chuck Taylor is awesome. Trent is great. And Orange Cassidy is that guy. And dare I say, he is a fucking clone to Daniel Bryan. And I have a nickname for Orange Cassidy. Since Bryan is the American dragon, we can call Orange Cassidy the citrus dragon the freshly squeezed dragon that is trying to do right by this world one step at a time, however slow it may be. But as I said on Saturday, this could be a coming out party for Orange Cassidy in front of a large audience in Chicago against Pac. Huge platform. I expect a surprisingly good match. And I have to give credit to AEW for pulling this match off in one night, doing the angle and making it matter and making me care as a fan to see how it's all going to turn out. We went from the tag team match being the most intriguing match on the card to this one 
surplanting it in terms of what the hell Orange Cassidy is going to do in this match. Is he going to be a slacker? Is he going to give us this in-ring technician we have not yet seen in AEW? And I think he is going to shock the world in the best possible way, and I can't wait. Quick shout out to Akira Shida for winning a Fatal 4-Way match featuring Yuka Sakazaki, Big Swole, and Shanna. It was a good match, a little clunky in spots, but the work was solid nonetheless. Yuka Sakazaki really has a fun personality. She reminds me of a Japanese anime come to life with her antics in the ring. The fans ate it up tonight, and I think that you need that personality to shine bright in the women's division, someone that has a sense of character and... Honestly, just this joy in her work. Sneaky, but very effective in what she does at the same time. And Sheeta definitely places herself as a number one contender, potentially for Nala Rose's or Chris Statlander's AEW Women's Championship match in the very near future based on the outcome of their match this upcoming weekend at the Revolution pay-per-view. I talked up Sheeta last week saying she is, to me, the best contender who should be next in line for the belt, and that may very well be the case. So good thinking on AEW's part for getting her back in the title picture. And now it is time for our main event segment, the weigh-in between Chris Jericho and John Moxley leading up to their AEW championship match this Saturday at the Revolution pay-per-view. And we had all the fixings. We had the ring girls in their bikinis. We had the photographers. We had the scale. We had Tony Schiavone officiating. And we had a surprise cameo appearance from former WCW announcer, Gary Michael Capetta as he announced both men down to the ring and I have to give a shout out to Chris Jericho and his inner circle posse they had these matching track suits and they walked shoulder to shoulder in a single file line coming to the ring this was the equivalent of a badass dream team from 1992 led by the GOAT Chris Jericho, in this case, the MJ of AEW. This was so fucking professional. I love the matching tracksuits. They need to be sold on shopaew.com. The Painmaker Posse loved it. So Moxley was not here for the pump and circumstance. He got on the scale first. He weighed 234 pounds. Allegedly, I call shenanigans on that. And then it was Jericho's turn. Jericho called out Capetta for being a horrible ring announcer, which explains why WCW went out of business 19 years ago in a hilarious burn. That was great. Jericho took a sweet ass time taking off his jacket, feigning getting on the scale, telling the Kansas City fans to shut their ass and told... <laughs> them that Patrick Mahomes, the reigning defending Super Bowl champion from the hometown Chiefs, is a piece of shit which gave him nuclear heat from the people. They went from singing his theme song to telling him that he sucks. So he once again takes his time getting on the scale and Moxley says, forget this. He headbutts Jericho, makes him bleed, looks like he has a broken nose, crimson red all over. The inner circle pounces on Moxley, a melee ensues. Baby faces do come to the rescue in the form of Dustin Rose going after Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara meeting up with Darby Allen once again, only for Darby Allen to eat a knee to the face, a sick jumping knee, followed by Guevara smashing his head with the skateboard and breaking it in half. That was a sixth spot as well. Then 
The fight continued with Hager and Rhodes in the concourse area. And I have to say the sponsors had to be very happy to see their stuff sold on display, including Domino's, Butt Light, and Dippin' Dots, which made an appearance during the early days of AEW as well. And Jake Hager smashed Dustin Rhodes in two said Dipping Dots, and JR was highly offended by that act of vandalism. That was a hilarious commentary call by JR. I loved it. And then Hager does a signature kick to the groin before slamming Dustin into the wall and proceeding to whoop that ass some more. As we cut back to the ring, Moxley is trying his best to fight back against Proud and Powerful, but he gets knocked out with the Judas Effect and Chris Jericho and eats the finisher, the paradigm shift on the scale as the show goes off the air with the inner circle standing tall and Moxley laid out and presumably Dustin as well in the concourse area and Allen also being laid out with that sick skateboard shot to the head. This was an outstanding main event segment forwarding not one, not two, but three matches for Saturday's pay-per-view, getting the heels their heat back from last week's beatdown by the baby faces and giving us a reason to buy and care about this pay-per-view this upcoming Saturday night. Everyone played their parts to perfection. A great go-home segment to a great go-home episode for a pay-per-view for AEW Dynamite. That's how you do it. You add humor, seriousness, blood and drama, and you have yourselves the makings for selling a pay-per-view to the hilt while using the Countdown to Revolution special as a nice companion piece of supplement storylines that were not highlighted on tonight's show in a big way by showcasing personalities and getting those feuds over on an emotional level. Overall, a great show to cap off a great series of shows leading up to Saturday's pay-per-view in Chicago, Illinois, and it should be a very good show. I expect nothing less. The build has been spectacular, and I expect a very strong pay-per-view from AEW this Saturday and their very young history of delivering quality pay-per-view events. And before we go, let's wrap up the show with the card for Revolution this upcoming Saturday in Chi-Town. The lineup as it stands is Chris Jericho versus John Moxley for the AEW World Championship, MJF with Wardlow versus Cody with Arn Anderson in a singles match, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page versus the Young Bucks for the AEW World Tag Team Championship, Jake Hager versus Dustin Rose in a singles match, Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara, Nala Rose versus Chris Statlander for the AEW Women's Championship, and Pac versus Orange Cassidy in a singles match. Should be an outstanding show from top to bottom. On that note, this wraps up another edition of the Dynamite Effect. Recapping the highs and lows from AEW Dynamite on TNT. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at LadyWrestlingX where you can find me promoting these podcasts on the daily and tweeting about everything WWE and AEW during the week. And if you need to catch up on past episodes, you can always listen on your favorite podcast directories via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn plus Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. recapping NXT from last night as well. And trust me, it's perfectly normal to like both shows. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> okay, until tomorrow, have a great Thursday morning, noon or night. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.